Mac Power Users, episode 271. Mac Power Users live on July 25, 2015. everyone, it's David Sparks along with my pal Katie Floyd. How are you doing, Katie? I'm great, David. How are you? I, I was just playing air drums at the uh, the music because I don't get to listen to it normally and it kind of threw me off for a minute. You don't listen to every one of our podcasts? Shame on you. Well, I don't get to listen to it while we're recording it. That was uh, kind of exciting. Okay. But anyway, um, I am so happy to be here. Now you are heading off to the Grand Canyon. So we're uh, doing our live show a little early this month. Yeah, so the people who are actually listening live will get to hear it about two weeks early. It's going to go in the live feed in the in the regular time, so it's it's time travel. Well, hey, whatever works. But uh, and we've got some great guests. We've got some great feedback. This is a good show, packed full of of amazing content as always. Um, before we get started, though, I thought we should just take a minute and do an update on the App Camp fundraiser that happened at the Mac Power Users. Yeah, well, first off, AppCamp, the AppCamp fundraiser in general, uh, was amazingly successful. They met and exceeded their goal. They raised in total um, over $100,000. So the AppCamp 3.0 fundraiser was a huge success. So thank you to everybody who contributed. And Mac Power users came through uh, in a big way as well. David, you want to tell us about that? Yeah, um, we had almost 100. We wanted to get to 100, but we didn't get a total of 100. We had almost 100 contributors from our listeners which added up to, to get this over $7,500, you know? Yeah. Just, just from the listeners we know of who forwarded their receipts to us. So that's, that's pretty amazing. Mac power users, listeners are incredibly, incredibly generous. Uh, and uh, so we are going to have a team MPU is going to be in Portland at the Portland app camp. Uh, and they're going to, to be doing their thing. They're going to be designing their apps. And as I understand it, David, uh, you're going to be sending a special correspondent to cover those events for us. Yes, my wife, Daisy, is going to be heading up to Portland. She's going to become the official Mac Power Users correspondent. She's also uh, um, looking seriously at helping organize an Orange County um, uh, app camp for girls next year. So if you're interested in volunteering that, let me know and I'll get you hooked up with her. But the um, we, uh, you know, so she's up there. She's going to be talking to the girls on the MPU team. And uh, we may even have some content in a future show from that. I, so. I think you might need to hook Daisy up with your travel microphone and a recorder and um, maybe get some interviews or heck, let, let those girls inter- interview each other. They're they're quite entrepreneurial, I hear. Yeah, we are. Uh, we are on it. So just stay tuned for that. But thank you, everyone. I just can't get over the generosity of our listeners. That That's a lot of money and we really appreciate it. And I'm sure Gene does, too. Anyway, uh, so we have a guest today, and uh, our guest is a gentleman from Texas by the name of Kent Newsom. And Kent and I have been talking offline a little bit. And Kent's uh, just an example of one of our amazing listeners. Kent's a, a real estate lawyer in a big firm. Uh, welcome to the show, Kent, by the way. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Oh, yeah, it's, it's our pleasure. And, and Kent has been blogging since, what was it? I think you started blogging in 1927, wasn't it? What'd you say? <laughs> I started what I call blogging in 1994, using a Perl script to put news up on what was then a a very uh, 
very simple and ugly webpage. <laughs> well, Ken is still <laughs> at it over at Newsom.org. And uh, I was looking at his website. I'm like, we got to get Kent on the show. And and uh, there's a couple things we want to talk to you about, Kent, in our little segment. And the first one I want to talk about, because I know we have a lot of listeners in the exact same position as you. Uh, you work in a big company. In your case, it's a big law firm, but big company, big law firm. They're the same in a lot of ways. And you have assigned to you at your work the you know traditional Dell computer locked down seven ways to Sunday by the IT department. But you're a Mac guy, and you are using both a Mac and this Dell at your desk every day. And I thought it would be fun to talk a little bit about number one, how you're doing it, you know, how are you connecting all these things? And number two, um, how do you, you know, how do you make that work using two different operating systems? Well, it's, it's been a bit of a, an evolving experiment, but uh, what I do now is I've got a late 2014 Mac mini that I have put in my office and I have two monitors that I've had, you know, forever. And one of them of course has an extra HDMI input and I connect my Mac Mini to one of the monitors, and it allows me uh, to, with a flip of the input switch, to go back and forth on the monitor between my Windows computer and my Mac computer. And then through using Dropbox, a couple of a couple of uh, USB switches, and you know Hazel and all the tools that that Mac lovers you know know and, and, and use all the time, I have been able to hack together what is not a perfect workflow because again I'm locked down so there's there's some things I just can't do but I've over the years uh, refined a, a workflow that allows me to do I would say 70% of, of, of my work uh, on the Mac which which is an improvement from you know the, the zero percent I was doing before so it's kind of a hack together process that lets me do uh, do as much on the Mac as I can. And I wanted to do this for three reasons. You know, one, obviously, because I prefer Macs and I only have Macs at home. I just, I'm happier on a Mac and I like it better. But more importantly, since I bill by the hour most of the time, like most lawyers, anything that I can do to make myself more efficient, it's good for me and it's good for my clients. And so, you know, you can't really hack anything that's locked down. But, you know, as we all know, you can do a lot of automation with Macs and Mac tools. So I wanted to try to be more efficient. And then thirdly, a related thing that I was trying to accomplish is I wanted to figure out a way that I could work more efficiently from the road because I travel a lot. And anything I can do to help me work efficiently and effectively, you know, from the road in a hotel room or somewhere is, is, is good. And so, you know, in, in a nutshell, that's what I started out trying to do. And that's kind of where I am. You know, I've been I've been looking at a similar setup to this. I'm going to be making a change and and switching firms. I, we talked about on on one of the other or I, I, a spoiler alert. We talked about on a future MPU show that we we've, we've already pre recorded. But there's gonna there's gonna be a change to my set, uh, setup. And the, you know they've got a, a PC. It's it's not horribly locked down, but but they've got a PC for me with some proprietary software. And I've got the Mac Mini that I've been using in my office forever. And and I really like being able to use it with you know things like Omni focus, things like text expander and, and all of my stuff and my setup. But, you know, there is that PC that I need to use for a few things. So I'm looking for some way to switch back and forth. And I was just thinking about getting, you know, one of those old KVM switches so that I could, you know, use my Mac for that stuff and then just hit a switch and go to the PC for other stuff. But it, it sounds like, you know, your solution of just switching the imp monitors on the input would probably work too. 
Well, it, it would probably work. And one of the reasons that it, that, that it might work for you, Katie, is one of the pieces of my of my uh, system is the Logitech K750 keyboard, which which you recommended, and I looked at it and I bought. And, and so what I wanted to do is, you know, I, I don't want to have two keyboards. Right. Um, I don't want to have to have two printers. And so I went out and, and found these um, switches. They're they're called pluggable. That's the that's the brand name. USB switches. And there they were twelve dollars on Amazon. And I actually bought two of them. And I'll tell you what I use them for. The first I used for that keyboard. So I plugged the little dongle from that keyboard into the switch. And then the switch is plugged into both my, my Mac and my Windows computer. And that allows me, with a push of the button on the switch, I can connect the keyboard to either the Windows computer or, or the Mac. And, and that solved a big problem for me because when I had two keyboards, I was constantly trying to type on the wrong one. It was just it was frustrating. Uh, and now I can do the push of a button. And actually, I'm such a nerd. I bought two-sided tape, and I taped that plug that switch right beside my keyboard. So I'm yeah. now getting muscle memory. If I need to be on the Mac or the Windows, I just press the button. And that worked so well that I decided to get another one to connect the printer in my office. Um, I used to have a a system where I would, I would save a, a document from my Windows computer into the transfer folder that we'll talk about in a minute on Dropbox, which would then propagate to the, the, the Mac computer and I had a Hazel rule that would monitor that, that folder. It would open the file, print it, and delete it. But once I got that switch, you know, I still use that, that, that rule I just mentioned when I'm on the road. If I want something to be printed in my office when I get back, I'll, I'll put it in my, my Dropbox, what I call the print folder, and it'll print my Mac computer from the office. But now that I've got those switches, Really, with just a couple of, of, of switches back and forth, I can go with one printer, one keyboard. I still have a separate uh, mouse for my Windows computer and, and Magic Trackpad for the Mac, but you know it's it's a lot better than it was when I had like three of everything. Yeah, and it and looks you know, like you can even plug a hub into this, so you can connect multiple stuff. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. There. You can't. Yeah, you can. And I actually have a, a, a because the Mac Mini only has you know three or four USB inputs. And I've got, you know, I've got a, a, a USB drive that I've got. I've got a bunch of stuff connected to that Mac um, because I, I needed more space. I bought a little hub and I have actually taped it to the side of my desk where it's out of sight. And some of the stuff goes into the hub and some of the stuff goes directly into the Mac. But at the end of the day, it lets me do, it lets me do a lot of stuff from, from my Mac. I mean, there are like seven things that I can do from, from my Mac that I, that I used to not be able to do about the only thing that I that I have to go back to my Windows computer to do is receive or send work emails and the the fairly rare occasion when I'm actually typing in in Word you know I, I could do that on my Mac and move it over but it's just as easier just to do it on on the, the Windows computer um, and, and, and have it done there but just about everything else I'm able to do on my Mac which is great so and, you know it's interesting the idea that you have a mouse versus a trackpad would i think make it easier as well to switch between the devices because it's a two two different input paradigms well yeah and i said mouse technically what i use on the windows computer is this ancient microsoft uh optical explorer trackpad i'm, I'm sorry trackball which is about the best thing microsoft ever made um and i've used i've used that 
track ball for a hundred years. Um, and, and I'm used to it, but, but I use the magic trackpad on the Mac and, and I'm better with the trackpad, but I've got so much muscle memory from, you know, 25 years using that, that trackball. When I get over to the Windows side, um, it's not that big a deal for me to switch. It would be a much bigger deal if I think if I was going between two different keyboards. I used to have one of those ergonomic keyboards on my Windows computer and, and a, just a Mac keyboard on the Mac. And that was kind of a mess. They were big and bulky and different. But now that I can go back and forth between that Logitech um, just by pushing that button, it's it works wonderfully. I, I, I really, I'm really happy with it, and I thank Katie for the recommendation. So, yeah. so the pluggable USB switches are a key component of making this work without having multiple keyboards. How long have you had those, and and how are they working? I've had them about three months, and they're working great. You know, I wasn't positive that the dongle for this keyboard would work on a, a USB switch. That was the thing I wasn't sure about, but for twelve dollars, I was willing to roll the dice, and it works great. I have no problem. It uh, it it makes my desk look neater. It it's just it makes me much more efficient. Which I mean, I, I love Mac, but I wouldn't go to the Mac in the office just because I love the Mac. You know, I would just soldier on like I did for a long time in that crappy Windows computer. But this allows me through various automation to be a lot more efficient than I would be just on the Windows computer. And it allows, this is really the, maybe the most important thing. It allows me to have a super efficient remote workflow. Um, the, the key, you know, you, you got to have a, a way to get in and out of the Windows computer. That's, that's the launch pad for this kind of workflow. And because, you know, again, I, I, I'm a real estate guy and, and because real estate people use Dropbox a lot, you know, I, I, I have Dropbox, you know, on my Windows computer and I have one folder that is the core for this entire workflow. You can name it anything. I call it transfer. And that transfer folder sits in the sidebar of all of my Macs and it sits in, you know, the sidebar equivalent of my Windows computer. So if I'm, I'll give you a great example of how this workflow works and I can do this in my office or from the road. If I've got a document I need to mark up maybe for somebody that I'm working with in the office. Yeah, I can mark, I did this last night. Uh, I, I marked up, you know, this document. I took the marked pages. I scanned them on my ScanSnap scanner, and I've got it set up to scan directly into this transfer folder, right? So, you know, I, I mark them up. I scan them in there. I remote access. You know, we, like most big companies, use Citrix. You know, I Citrixed in on my, on my MacBook to my office, opened up an email and Outlook, and there, you know, when I went to add an attachment in my transfer folder was the marked up pages that I had just scanned. And I was able, in, you know, three minutes to scan it to my assistant and say, can you please you know, make these changes and then, you know, send me a redraft. You know, that before would have taken, I don't even know how I would have done it before. I, would, I guess I would have had to email it to myself and download it. And it took me about, about three minutes to do that. So the transfer folder or whatever you want to call the, the, the common folder that, that can propagate to all these computers is really the key. But once you get something in that transfer folder, if you're on the, you know, the Mac side, you can apply Hazel rules, um, you know, automator scripts. You can do all kinds of things to whatever's in there, um, you know, to make, to make your, uh, your workflow faster and more efficient. Yeah, I want to, okay. 
Go ahead, Sorry, Katie. David. I, I want to move ahead uh, and talk about some of the software that you're using because you do have to work in a, in a cross-platform world, and, and you sent us a, a little bit of an outline of some stuff that, that you're using. Um, and I know that you're using some stuff that we don't have an opportunity to talk much about on, on Mac Power users. Um, you know, specifically, uh, I, I know you're using um, some Windows virtualization software that is one that we probably haven't talked about uh, called Crossover. Crossover. Let me tell you the 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 the, the quest that led me to Crossover. Um, being a nerd, you know, I've kept a lot of old emails, a lot of old voicemails from going back to when we first got email and voicemail that I would like to refer to from time to time for forms or for information that I know I have, right? And back in the day, we had Lucent phones and we had this application called Lucent Voice Player, which I can tell you a lot of people used back in the day to listen to their voicemails, but it had a proprietary format. And it was deprecated sometime. And now, if you Google Lucent Voice Player, it's really hard to find. Uh, but I needed to hear uh, some of these old voicemails that I had saved. I don't save every voicemail, but I save ones that I may need to go back to. And I couldn't figure out how to do it. I couldn't do it on my Windows computer for two reasons. One, Lucent Voice Player is impossible to find. And two, I couldn't install it. So I was trying to figure out, how do I get that? So I found a copy of the Lucent Voice Player, which I've got and I've in a safe place, you know, that I'll keep forever. But I wanted to play some of these old voicemail files on my Mac. And I don't want to have to pay for a terribly expensive uh, program. And I don't want to, I, I just want to be able to, to, to pop in, hear this, this file and pop out. And my quest led me many places, but ultimately I found Crossover, which you know, as David and I were talking about a while ago, they still make it and it still works. And it lets me basically create a little um, script on my Mac that will allow this this Lucent voice player to basically run virtualized. But it does it in a way, the way it works in, in practice is if I want to hear a voicemail on my Mac, I just go to the file where it is. I, you know, click on it. And then the crossover will launch Lucent Voice Player. And I wrote a blog post because my quest to find this this workflow was long and arduous. So I wrote a, a, a post on my blog about you know how to play Lucent Voice Player files on on Macs. And I've actually had several people you know thank me because a lot of older people like me who who save stuff like that found that you can't get it. So I use crossover for that, and it works. It works great. And for people who may not be familiar, what is unique about crossover? My understanding is that you don't have to install a full version of Windows. Is that is that still the case? That is the case. You install it, it costs sixty dollars, so it's not super cheap. Um, but you install Crossover, and then it runs some portion of Windows in a virtualized environment. But you do not have to install any uh, version of Windows. Uh, it just it, it will run. It doesn't work for everything. They have a pretty extensive list of apps that they've tested with it. Um, that, that it will run. And there, and there are a lot of games. There are a lot of applications. Um, Lucent Voice Player was not on that list, but they have a way in Crossover that you can sort of set up your own um, virtualized environment, and it works with Lucent Voice Player. And, and if there's anybody out there in this situation, I've got a walkthrough again that I posted that will show you how, how you can get Crossover to work. But it's great because you don't have to install Windows. You don't have to reboot it's not like Parallels where it's always, you know, on your system. It's just you, you, you launch it when you need it, and it's, 
It's great. Yeah, we, we, we talked about it years ago, and it's a drastically you know less resources on your computer, both when it's operating and on your hard drive. But it is one of those things you have to make sure that the exact Windows program you want to use with it works. Uh, they do have a demonstration mode or a, a, a sample, so you can download it and try it out to you know make sure it works with whatever you're doing. But I you know I had lost track of this application over the years, and I I wasn't even sure they were still developing it. But can Kent confirms it's still out there. It's version 14 now. I just looked it up while we were talking. Uh, another app That's on great. yeah, another app on your list that we don't get to talk much about is is LastPass. And you know, full disclosure, One Password is a sponsor. They're they're actually sponsoring this show. But you know, tell us a little bit about LastPass and and why you chose LastPass because um, you know I know we talked about you know Mac people do talk about One Password all the time, but I feel like sometimes we ignore other solutions, and I want to make sure that that we cover them as well. So tell us a little bit about uh, LastPass and and why you chose that well i was very late to the password management game which is which i shouldn't be i should have done it a long time ago and i about maybe two two and a half years ago i can't remember what website it was but one of the websites we all use got compromised and i had to go in and change my password um and that was kind of a pain and then (laughs) my one of the passwords i used to use one password for things i didn't care about like netflix and things that you know i don't have anything in there that's secret and what my, my daughter, bless her heart, was at a party with a bunch of her friends, and she told a bunch of them our Netflix password because they wanted to use it to watch whatever they were watching, mm. which I knew was the pa- <laughs> I knew was the password for nothing that I cared about, but a bunch of sites. And so I decided it was time to dip my toe into the password management um, orders, and I picked LastPass. I'm not even sure why I picked LastPass over one password. I, I, I think I did because it ran in a in a tab in Google Chrome, which is the browser um, that, that I use, you know, everywhere. Uh, and, and I started using it, and uh, you know, it took a little while to get set up. I think it's probably easier now. Um, but I, the reason I like it is, and, and one pass, I would ask you this question: one pass may be the same, but it allows me to manage, share, and access passwords and secure notes in Windows and on my Mac. And, and it's been a real time saver um, for me. And, and, and I would ask you guys, does OnePass, I know OnePass has Windows functionality. Does it work well in a Windows environment? Because if it does, maybe I'd switch. I used it on Windows back when I used the PC full-time at, at the office. That's been a couple of years, but it, yeah, it was, it was fine. So I, yeah, I think it would drop off. So, yeah. 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 You should check it out. Um, but you know, the, uh, the one other thing on your list, Kent, and we can't let this one slide by. You are an <laughs> owner of an Amazon Echo, and Katie and I are confirmed geeks. So uh, I know I'm I've interested been, in this. I, yeah, I found I, myself looking at one today. Yeah, I think we've all been looking you. at it, but none of us have had anybody on the show that's that's used one. So let us know how this thing works. Okay, let me begin by saying, you know, just a disclosure, I am a gigantic Apple Mac fan and, you know, love to live in the, in the you know, Apple Mac ecosystem. Having said that, I think the Echo has, it's ahead of Google now. It's, it's wonderful. I, I bought another one. I got, I got, offer, I got one for half price because I'm a longtime Prime member when they first came out. So I've had one for about a year now. And when they opened it up a couple weeks ago, I, I bought another one um, for the farm because I love it. 
um, I, it, it'll connect to, I know we're all, you know, automation fans and I've got you know, Wemos and Hue light bulbs everywhere. It'll connect to a Wemo and Hue. So you can say, you know, turn on the study lights, turn on the hall lights, and it'll turn on the hall lights. Um, when I'm going to bed, I'll say, and I've got it unplugged, so I can say this, the name, A-L-X-E-A, Alexa, you know, wake me up at 8.30, and, and it'll do it. You can even, and I tested this the other night, you can even say, tell me a joke, and it'll tell you a joke. You can say, what's the weather? My, my sister, or my sister, my, my wife and daughter were up in um, Michigan on a college trip the other night, and I said, hey, what's the, you know, what's the weather in, in East Lansing? And it'll tell you. It just... I am a gigantic fan of, of the Echo. Now, I'm a little worried that ultimately, you know, it's going to be trying to, you know, get me to buy stuff. But candidly, I buy so much stuff from Amazon now, I don't know how I could buy more. So that's a, that's a minor a minor worry. You, but I love you it. You and me both, brother. Highly, highly recommend that you guys try it because I, I think you'd love it. The, uh, you know, the, the only thing holding me back is, you know, the rumored new Apple TV. And I know that they are doing all kinds of interesting things with it. And they're on the verge of announcing it every time they get up on stage. And I, I don't want to buy an Echo and then find out that the same functionality is in the new Apple TV, which I'll be buying anyway. So I'm waiting for the new Apple TV announcement, which I expect we'll get in the next month or two. And um, I, I hope so. I hope so. And if it doesn't have something like that, I think there's probably an echo in the uh, Sparks House future. Yeah, Apple TV. Uh, I've got several of them. I love them to death. Um, Apple TV. Apple needs to, even if they don't get their TV rights lined up, they desperately need to update their Apple TV. I, I also have an Amazon Fire TV that I bought, and I can tell you. You know, if you got a hundred MPS download, you're probably fine on Apple TV. But up here at the farm, you know, I'm lucky to get eight. And if you were to do a side by side comparison of downloading and playing a movie through Apple TV and Amazon Fire, I can't tell you why, but it's night and day. Yeah, ours is so old that they just dropped YouTube off of it. We had the first generation (laughs) puck, and you know, we actually like to watch YouTube on our TV sometimes, but not anymore. So, I've actually got a first generation Apple TV sitting in my bedroom at home. We don't use it, but it's so old and big and bulky. I keep it there kind of as a friend. Well, you know, first generation. Yeah, first generation. If if things ever get rough, you can always you know fry an egg on it. (laughs) That's right. Um. Well, Kent, I want to thank you for coming on the show and talking about all this stuff you're up to. And uh, it's impressive whenever I hear somebody in a you know, lockdown Windows environment that gets 70% of their work done on a Mac. Uh, we needed to have you on and hear about that. And uh, I encourage everyone to go out and check out Kent's website. It's at newsome.org, N-E-W-S-O-M-E.org. And you can also follow Kent on Twitter. He's at Kent Newsome. Thanks a lot, Kent, for coming on the show. Hey, thank you guys for having me, and thank you for all you do. It's, it's a great show, and I'm uh, happy to be here. Great. All right. Well, we've got a bunch more to cover, but before we do, I want to take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor for the show, uh, and that is actually a good friend of the show, uh, and that is Mac. Uh, that is a great compliment to Mac Power users. I almost said that is Mac Power users because I think these things go so well together. Uh, but that is actually our good pal Don McAllister's Screencast Online. Uh, so for over ten years, Don over at Screencast Online has been creating video tutorials to help you get the most out of your Apple products, and this includes includes guidance and tips and tricks on OS X, iOS, uh, and now Apple Watch. And he covers hardware, he covers software, he covers Apple's own software, things like pages, numbers, keynote, photos. 
In fact, he just recently did a whole series diving deep on Apple Music because that seems to be a topic that confuses a lot of people. But that's not all. He also has video tutorials on some of the best third-party software out there. He covers things that we talk about all the time on Mac Power Users. He talks about OmniFocus. He talks about 1Password. He talks about Pixelmator. He talks about ScreenFlow. Uh, if it's a topic that we... Uh, he talks about Hazel. I mean, he talks about Keyboard Maestro. All types of, of things like that. If, if you think about it, Don has probably done a Screencast Online article about it. Don publishes not one, but two shows every week. He does one for the Mac and one for iOS. Um, they are very responsive and up-to-date with what's happening in the Apple community. Uh, he's done shows on setting up family sharing. He's done shows on Apple Music, as we talked about. He's done shows recently on the Apple Watch. He was one of the first ones to figure out how to get good video uh, of the Apple Watch. These are very professionally crafted screencasts. And I got to tell you, there's just something about Don. He knows how to walk you through a product. Uh, he knows how to explain it from start to finish. He knows how it makes sense. Uh, I try to get my family to watch as many of his screencasts as possible because it just makes my life so much easier to say, you know what, I think Don did a tutorial about this. You know, why don't you watch this and then we'll come back and and go over it. Uh, and they like that because they, they like trying to figure out and enjoy things for themselves. And Don also, in addition to all of his uh, screencasts, he does a great magazine with some amazing writers, I might add, just top-notch contributors who write to this magazine. David, don't you agree? Yes some, yes, some brilliant people. Yeah, um, but the magazine is great because it's available on the iPad and you get some some articles as well as some of the, the highlights from his screencast uh, right there in an easy-to-use form. So it's kind of the best both worlds. So if you don't have time to watch every week, that's fine. Many members just use screencasts online as a reference guide because as soon as you subscribe, you're not only going to get access to all of his shows, both shows a week, but there's now an archive of over 700 videos that you're going to have immediate access to stream or download. So you can sign up today for a 14-day no-obligation free trial, which includes access to all of his tutorials over at screencastsonline.com. You can start with a three-month membership for just 20 or a 12-month membership for just $97. But we can do better than that. If you use coupon code MPU2015, you'll get a 25% discount off your first membership period. So why don't you go ahead and get that full 12 months because it's only going to cost you 72 bucks with our coupon code. So check it out over at screencastsonline.com. Don't forget to use coupon code MPU2015. Uh, and thanks to Don and Screencast Online for their support of Mac Power users. You know how you're saying you use um, screencasts online to kind of push family members into it rather than show them something? Yeah. I have the inverse of that. When I try to show something to my wife, she looks at me and then cocks her head and says, has Don covered this? <laughs> <laughs> she, she would rather watch Don than have me explain it to her. Anyway, um, well, let's, let's continue. We've got some great listener questions this month, uh, starting with Dave. Yeah. All right. Let's hear from Dave. Hi there, Katie and David. I'm a relatively new Mac user. I'm on my first Mac right now, which is a late 2013 13-inch Retina MacBook Pro. Um, and I originally got it with Mavericks installed. And when Yosemite was released, I did that upgrade in place. But I was wondering if you guys felt that there was any benefit to when El Capitan comes out, which I'm really excited about, wiping out my hard drive and starting with a clean, fresh install of El Capitan, or whether you think that's a silly thing that me coming from a Windows background just feels the need to blast away everything and start over from scratch every few years. Um, and if that's the case, 
what is a strategy that you have for moving all of your applications and other things like that from an old install to a new install? I do some things in the Mac App Store, but usually I try to avoid it in part to give the developer a little bit more of a cut and also to use features that are outside the sandbox privileges. So I was wondering if you could have any advice on moving applications over or other system things like fonts and whatnot that I may have installed afterward, but I don't really know where they are on the machine. Uh, any advice would be great. Thanks. Okay, Dave. That, you know, that is actually a very common question we get from switchers because, you know, on the PC side, not only do you uh, do the nuke and pave you know, every time you get a new operating update, um, at least in my experience with the PCs, you would do it about every six months just because. Um, I don't know, did you do that, Katie, when you were a PC? Well, I guess you never I really was been never a PC, a PC user. user. Yeah. My goodness, who are you talking well, to? Well, the the days I had where I had to use a PC regularly, it, I just found the machine worked better if about every six months I just wiped it out and started over again. Um, when you get over to the Mac, it, you're going to just naturally think you need to. And the general answer I would give to that, and I'm curious to hear what Katie says, but I would say no. I mean, when the new system comes out, just hit the upgrade button and upgrade it. Um, let it let it do its thing. Make sure you back up before you do it. You know, we all are anal about backup for good reason. I would even do uh, before an operating system update, I would go ahead and put in a um, I would do a, a a clone backup, you know, like a super duper or carbon copy cloner and just have just a, a clone backup before you do the upgrade. But click the upgrade button and I, I think you'll just be fine. Uh, occasionally, your your system does start to do wonky things. Katie's experienced this just in the last few months that requires you to try and do a nuke and pave. But that's the only time I resort to that. How about you? I, I think you hit the nail on the head. And first off, I, I want to give um, Dave a resource. You know, if this sounds familiar, David, it's because we did an entire show on this topic. Uh, I believe it's episode 98. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's called Mac from Scratch. And we did a whole episode on the idea of number one, do you need to rebuild your Mac from scratch? And if so, how would you go about doing that? And that episode's a couple of years old now, because obviously we're at 271 now, but I think the information in that episode is still good. So if this is something that you're considering doing, I've got two resources I'm putting in the show notes for you. One is that article uh, that episode uh, and two is an article that I wrote and put on my blog about the process of when I recently rebuilt my Mac from scratch um, kind of step by step how I did it so those are two things that you can look at so that's that's kind of the how as to the you know, should I do it I think it really the question is um, are you having any trouble if you're having, you know, you mentioned that it's a couple of years old now and you're a couple of operating systems on it, maybe, but if you're not, if, if you're starting to experience some problems, if you're starting to experience some slowness or if you feel like you've got a lot of, I use the word cruft on that machine um, that, that you feel like you want to clear out. But if your machine's working just fine, if you're happy with it, if it's nice and zippy, if you're not having any problems, then no, I, I think the default answer should be no. Just just install right on top and really only start looking at doing a nuke and pave um, if, if you're starting to experience some problems. Yeah, my wife's computer is an example with El Capitan. That'll be the fourth operating system upgrade I do on it. And um, she does not like her husband run beta software and do all kinds of crazy nut nutty things on her computer. And every year I do the upgrade, every year everything just works fine. 
Um, if you know, if you're pushing the envelope a little bit, that's when you make it into a situation where it's it's time to do a nuke and pave once in a while. And if you do it, go back and listen to that show. We explain it all. But one of the key um, power tips there is always have that clone backup when you do the nuke and pave and keep that clone backup for months because you will find there's a missing font or a hazel rule or something that you forgot about that you want to get off that clone. Yeah. All right. We have a a question for Josh who says, in regards to two-factor authentication, what are the pros and cons of using an app like Authy versus using simple SMS message to your phone? Is one better than the other? What do you think? Um, well, I actually have a couple of apps that I use for two-factor authentication. I was a big fan of Authy. I still like Authy quite a bit and have it on my, it's actually on my home screen. I fairly recently switched over to using 1Password for two-factor authentication now, but I, I think the information is is still the same. I like using the apps for a couple of reasons. Um, initially, I started using apps like Authy um, back when I didn't have an unlimited SMS plan, because I I think most people do have unlimited SMSs now, but because I had a very limited plan, I I didn't want to get an SMS every time. Um, Additionally, apps like Authy or 1Password can provide you with some additional security for that two-factor authentication, because um, both Authy and 1Password allow you to enter a secondary password before you get to your two-factor authentication code. So presumably, presumably, you have your phone locked down with a password. So you have to get into your phone first with with your password or your thumbprint. And then you have to enter hopefully a different password to get into your two-factor authentication management device. Um, So I think that's another advantage. I think it's a little bit additionally secure. Um, and then I think it's also more convenient um, with with some of these apps like Authy and like 1Password, you can have these two-factor authentication codes on multiple devices. Um, you can have them on your watch now. So if you don't have your phone with you, if it's maybe in another room, you can pick up those codes on your watch. You can pick up those codes um, on an iPad. Or if you wipe your phone, you still have access to those codes and you can still go in and get your data. You don't have to worry about things being out of sync. So um I definitely like using one of those codes like, uh, or sorry, one of those apps like Authy or 1Password. Um, but I understand some people may prefer to use the SMS. It's it's simple. It's easy. Um, but whatever you do, definitely turn on two-factor authentication. Even if you're just getting it by SMS, uh, it's it's a huge boost, boost to security. So I turn it on everywhere I can. Yeah. And two-factor authentication, for those who haven't heard us rant on about it before, is the ability to have a second verification before it gives access to your data to some other device. So if you try to add a computer, it's going to send a text message or or one of these authentication things to you that you have to give. Um, you know, the big downside to this, all, all these apps, is that you have to take the time to set them up. But as Kitty just cataloged, it's totally worth spending the time to do it. Uh, put a little task in OmniFocus or whatever. Someday when you've got, you know, 15 minutes to set this up, you will not regret that. Um, moving on, Jason uh, wrote in about sharing tasks. He says, my wife and I are on iOS with a number of iDevices in our household, and we are using Wonderlist in an attempt to share and assign household tasks. We also have, unlike Amazon Echo, there's another call to Echo, uh, which has been shopping and to-do list functionality. And he's been fiddling around with if, if this and that IFTTT to transpose Echo events into shopping list items. Uh, but they hit his inbox when it works instead of the shared groceries list. And he says, I know that uh, I have everything I need, but I haven't got this working yet. Um, 
uh, with iOS reminders so we can get Siri into the mix. Do you or any of your super smart listeners have some tips on how to better consolidate these activities? And what Jason's doing is he's hitting his head against uh, some of the limitations of if this, then that, and these web sharing. I mean, it's great that these devices talk to each other, but they only talk to each other to the extent that developers and the web services allow for it. And, um, you know, I don't know that there necessarily is a way to use a echo to if this, then that rule to get a specific list and wander list. I haven't, you know, researched it, but uh, I can completely see how he's having that problem. He made reference to reminders, and we've talked about this on the show at some length in the past. Um, I, I kind of cut that whole loop out with us. We have a reminder shopping list, and I just can use Siri and say, add spicy carrots to my shopping list. And then it shows up on each of the devices. My wife and my daughters are all synced to that shopping list. So that's the way I handle it. I don't know that the Jason there necessarily is a way to do it through echo and wonder list, but um, I, uh, I appreciate the, the difficulty you're facing there. Actually, David, there is. So I see Katie sat there very silently ready to just drop the hammer. Let's hear it, Katie. Um, I don't know about Wonderlist, but I think if you are willing to switch to Apple Reminders, then yes, there is a way to use if this and that, if this, then that, to add something via Amazon Echo to a specific list in Reminders. So you could set up multiple lists and reminders that you share through iCloud with multiple people. So you could have a grocery list, you could have a hardware store list, you could have just a home tasks list. I mean, and, and we've gone through that process before about how you can set up multiple lists and reminders and share with those with various people. Um, and you can then, and I've put a link to the if this, then that, uh, and, and you can always do that by Siri. That's very easy to do with Siri. Uh, you just invoke Siri and tell her to add, you know, whatever to the whatever list. And that usually works very well. I know you mentioned you have a lot of iDevices and watches, so you can do that directly from your devices and from your watches. But if you want to do it from the Echo, you can also do that with the help of If This Then That. And I put a link in the show notes to an If This Then That rule that somebody created and shared that will allow you to customize it specifically to add things to to certain lists. So take a look at that. Uh, and there's some some articles uh, that I put in the show notes that reference this that that talk a little bit more about that feature. Uh, Aaron wrote in about encrypting network drives. He says, how do you handle encryption on external storage systems like Drobo, Transporter, Synology? Um, Drobo support site tells users not to use encryption like FileVault on Drobo drive volumes. Do you have any non-RAID like external storage devices you have used encryption on? Well, how have you dealt with that, Katie? Well, I, I want to back up and explain this question a little bit. And so- RAID volumes um, like Drobo, like Synology, you know, multiple bundled disks, those are formatted differently than the standard NSF plus volumes that typically you use with FileVault. Those typically have proprietary file formats, and so you can't use the standard FileVault encryption with that. So as a general rule, well, you can just just once and you won't be able to read your data. That's yeah, that, yeah, you do. You do it once and then and then you're done. Your data is gone. So, no, that's that's not a good idea. Um. So what you're going to need to do is you're going to, if you want to encrypt files that you want to store on these types of devices, um, you're going to need to encrypt them um, either in an encrypted disk image, uh, which you can create through disk utility, um, or you're going to have to encrypt the files individually using some kind of third-party software. Uh, I tend to not encrypt 
a lot of the data that I have on my Drobo is not encrypted. A lot of most of the data that I keep on my Drobo um, is is media. It's a backup of my iTunes library. It's a backup of my iPhoto library, and I, yeah, of course, I would prefer that not go somewhere. But my Drobo is fairly safe. It's it's in my house, and um, if I, I think the odds of something happening to that data is is fairly low. And if it did, it's not top secret or anything. But the data that I would prefer that nobody get access to, for example, my computer backups. And I have a couple of different types of backups on my Drobo. I have time machine backups, and I also have um, cloned backups to disk images. So they're not bootable, but they're they're clones to disk images. Um, I just make sure that those are separately backed up. You know, the the 5N, the network Drobo, and this is also, a, I believe, a feature with some of the Synologies as well, will allow you to, to use that as a destination volume for time machine. And then within the time machine interface, you can use that to create encryption and then if you are backing up to a disk image, you can create a, a, an encrypted sparse bundle is what I typically do uh, before I, I back up to that. Um, or if I just want to create a pot that's encrypted, I can just create a, an encrypted disk image there. So that's what I'm doing. That all makes sense. Um, hey, I want to take a minute and we've got a, some more interesting questions here. One that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, but before I do so, let's talk about our friends over at Gazelle, uh, our second sponsor today. Uh, this episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Gazelle, and it's the fast and simple way to sell your used gadgets. And you may not realize it, but as you're listening to this show, you've probably got cash sitting in a drawer that you didn't know about because you've got these older iOS devices. We've all got them somewhere. Uh, you're holding on to them maybe for sentimental value. I don't know. I mean, to me, the technology, once I'm not using it anymore, doesn't matter. I want to get rid of it. And Gazelle is a great way for me to get cash back for those devices. Uh, it's very easy. You go on their site, gazelle.com. Uh, you plug in with the devices. Let them know you heard about it from us. They'll ask you and they'll make you an offer. And they'll send you a box. You can put your device in there, send it back, and you'll get cash or you'll get Amazon credit. They've got a bunch of different ways to pay you. They've paid nearly $175 million to over 1 million customers. I'm a very uh, eager and aggressive Gazelle customer. Whenever we get upgraded phones in the house or whatever, I always just sell the you know the one that's not being used anymore, and it helps offset the costs. And when you think about buying a phone under contract, which is what we're doing here in the U.S., you actually get pretty close to paying at least the... Um, the contract fee when you sell the older device. So it's a great way to go. It's risk-free. You don't have to meet somebody in a dark alley. Uh, they're a reputable company. Uh, you rate the phone before you get the price. And sometimes you turn it in. They say, you know what? This phone's better than you said it was. So we're going to give you a little bit more money. That feels pretty good. And not only does Gazelle buy your stuff, they have great stuff to sell, too. So if you've got a problem and you need to get a new device, they have certified pre-owned iPhones, uh, Samsung Galaxy phones and iPads that you can buy directly from them. Uh, I needed a second phone recently for some testing I was doing for some of the books, and I bought it from Gazelle. Um, if you've got maybe your uh, your spouse or children drop their phone and you don't want to go to Apple and pay you know, the price to buy a brand new phone, go on Gazelle and buy yourself a pre-owned one for them. It's going to look great. You're going to be really happy with it. And it's a reputable company. Once again, if you get it and there's something wrong with it, they'll, you know, they'll honor it and work with you. Um, so you can either trade in your old devices for cash or buy uh, uh, certified pre-owned devices from them. They've got you covered both ways coming. 30-day risk-free return policy, 30-point inspection on the stuff you buy from them. They're just a great company to work with. Check it out. Go over to gazelle.com. 
to find out more. And like I said, when you're checking out, make sure you tell them you heard about them from us. They have a little box there you can fill in. Uh, we really appreciate it. And thanks, Gazelle, for sponsoring the show. Um, so, David, before we go on much further, um, you know, I know we've made several references to you can find things in the show notes where I'm going to add links to this in the show notes. But inevitably, uh, after the show, I'll get a couple of emails from people who say, you know what, I, I don't understand what you mean by I can find these in the show notes or where are the show notes. And I guess we haven't really explained lately where those are, or where people can find them. But as we're doing the show, we go through and if we we talk about something, we try to put a link to it Um on there's a website for every show that that we produce, um, and you can find that at relay.fm slash mpu slash whatever the episode number is. So this one is 271. Um, but perhaps the easiest way to get to the show notes is if you're listening to this in a modern podcast application on, on iOS, uh, probably if you just scroll down in your podcast application, you'll probably see a list of links and a list of show notes directly in your podcast app. Um, so those are two ways that, that you can look directly at the show notes and, and see all of those links that, that we've put together for you. One, one of my favorite tips when I'm listening to a podcast and they're talking about a bunch of stuff I want to check out later is I will sh I will go in the and a lot of the modern podcast apps do this. You can share out the show notes to a um, pocket or to read it later or whatever your read it later services, Instapaper, whatever. And it just creates a little item with you with a list of all the links. And then later when I'm going through that, I can click on them. And that's a lot of fun and usually kind of expensive. Yeah, it can be. Um, uh, uh, some of the ask MPU, you know, if you, if you send us a tweet and put hashtag ask MPU with no space in it, it, it's a great way to make sure you get on our radar and get into the show. And Jeremy wrote in, he says, uh, how do you decide between using Omni outliner and MindNote? Because I talk about both of those things on the show all the time. And, um, and I actually have a big post I've been writing on this. It's just not done yet. Um, so I'll be explaining in further detail, but they're two different to my mind. They're two different sides of the brain. You know, my node is a hippy dippy uh, mind mapping application and Omni outliner is, you know, I guess is the right side. I always get it wrong. Is the right side or left side that is the analytical side, Katie? I don't know. Do but know? It's, it's my side. Okay. Katie, the Katie side of the brain is on the outliner where everything is in very strict order. The and David side of the brain is one node. Yeah. Well, I, I like to say I'm, my I node. go both ways. Yeah, I go you both do. ways. You do. Okay. But the, uh, but for me, uh, my node is kind of the starting point for a lot of things because I don't necessarily want to put structure on an idea. And, you know, I've re I keep referencing the cooking idea show that we did a couple of years ago, but it, it is a good show and it, it kind of explains how I think. But the, um, uh, when I start working on a new project, I open a mind node and just start writing down random thoughts and ideas in it and their individual nodes. And I'm not even necessarily sure how they connect at the beginning, but anytime any thought occurs to me that seems relevant to whatever that project is, I just put it in there. And eventually I start connecting the nodes and start putting ideas together. And that's a very kind of fluid process for me. And that may go on for a couple days or a couple months, depending on what the project is. But at some point I've got this kind of built spider web of my node ideas. And because they both can work with OPML files, I can easily move the my node into an outline file towards the end and then look at it with the Katie Floyd brain and see if I can, you know, take it apart or sometimes new ideas occur to me when I see it linear like that. And so I kind of bounce back and forth, but to me, my note is kind of the planning hippy dippy part and 
uh, when I get towards the end is when I start thinking about omni outlining and, uh, I'm going to do a post on this to explain it further. Uh, do you, Katie, do you do any mind mapping at all? Or are you still just absolutely, uh, omni outliner all the way? I have bought several mind mapping apps. I've bought both MindNode and iThoughts and I, I try, but I, outlining is where I am most comfortable. I am so much more comfortable outlining, but I know, I know it would probably be beneficial to me to, to break out of my shell a little bit. I, you know, I don't know that it would be. I mean, if, if outlining works for you, then do outlining. I, I mean, I, we're all different, you know, and there are certain things you do that don't work for me. I, I would, um, I wouldn't fight that battle too hard if I were you, if outlining works. Um, another ask MPU question we had is, um, uh, how do you manage keeping up your OmniFocus if your work requires you to use different task management services? And um, that is a t- difficult question. We um, we've talked about it. We've danced around it on the show. I mean, like let's say you're like Kent and you're in an office, and all of a sudden everybody says we want to track all tasks in um, in you know Outlook. And there's a t- there's a task. You know, I think they call it to dos in Outlook or something. But you know, we, we're going to have to dos for you in Outlook. Um, I've when I was you know back when I was working at the firm, um, that occasionally happened. And when it did, I always felt like the um, the tasks or the to do's at work were not really properly framed to do's. It was more like, you know, write or file the motion for the Jones case. Well, there's a million things you're going to do to file that motion. There's research and writing and proofreading and all these things. So I would just leave it as generic as possible on the company side. So it wasn't a lot of tasks, but then I would have my own system on the back end of OmniFocus that I would work through. And once I finished that project in OmniFocus, then I'd check it off on the work system. Um, how do you deal with that, Katie? Yeah, I do something similar because at my at my current job, we, we've got a, um, a document management system. Uh, that that's all in one that also has a, a tickler system. And it's basically to make sure that you don't miss any statute of limitations or that you, everybody's on top of things, but you're exactly right. It only has big picture things. It only has, did, did you file this? Did you follow? Did you send this letter? You know, did you calendar this? It it doesn't actually have the steps that need to be done to do this. So yes, I, I will, you know, check that yes, something has been done or yes, this has been followed up on to make people happy or to make people in the office aware that it's been done. But that's not where all the work happens and that's not where all the planning happens. I, I still do that myself in, in OmniFocus. And speaking of OmniFocus, we, we got a, I think what might be a little bit of an involved question over on the Google Plus community that generated some some good conversation. And if you haven't had an opportunity, uh, you should check out the Mac Power Users Google Plus community. Uh, it's almost 3,000 people strong. And just about every day, there are a couple of posts in there that are that are generating discussion of, you know, kind of things that we talk about on the show. But Jonathan wrote in and he said, my OmniFocus GTD review process is taking too long. And I know, David, you have harped on the fact that doing that weekly review um, re- really helps you get focused and centered and figure out what you need to do and, and tackle projects. But but Jonathan is saying that it takes him up to three hours or so, and he wants it to take an hour or less and needs help cutting it down. And he gave us kind of a laundry list of things that he did. And, and I'm not going to go through it all, but he says he empties his head. He adds all of his drafts to his OmniFocus inbox. He processes his inbox. He clears the inbox. He adds tasks to his calendar. Um, he plans for the week. He looks at family events. He uh, looks at his calendar. He, um, 
He processes his physical inbox to zero. He empties his bag. He responds to Facebook messages. He responds to tweets. He responds to his Reddit inbox. He make he responds to his email inbox and processes that to zero. Uh, he reads the articles in his pocket queue and he reviews his someday maybe list. And he says these are all things that he wants to do, but it's taking him three hours to get all of these things done. Well, I mean, I think Jonathan is doing a lot more here than his review. I mean, like reading right. pocket articles for 20 minutes is not part of your review. Um, but the um, I, I sympathize with the idea whenever your task manager feels like it's 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 keeping you so busy, you're not actually doing any tasks. Uh, this is kind of a recurring theme in my life. I, I just ran into it. And, you know, I, you know, I'm no better than anybody else here. And I came back from vacation and I was behind on things and OmniFocus kind of blew up on me. And I had to spend like an hour going through just sorting things out and being realistic about it. But the, the, the trouble I think people run into is that a tool, you know, any tool that gets you more efficient at managing tasks and projects makes it really easy for you to add a lot more tasks and projects. You know, I hear from people that have got like over 5,000 tasks in OmniFocus and I say, that's great, but you either need to have a really long runway you know, some of those tasks are you're not going to get done for a long time or you just have too many projects and you have to, like, make some hard decisions just because just the fact that you can track 5000 doesn't mean that you can do 5000. And in fact, tracking 5000 is probably going to prevent you from doing a lot, <laughs> prevent you from doing a lot of those things. So um, it, it's a it's a constant battle. I have it too. Um, just try and be brutal in terms of deciding what you have resources and time to do. Well, and I think another thing that can that can help with this weekly review is just to give you an idea of, of some of the ways that I, I do. I do some of this stuff on an ongoing basis, so I'm not including it in my review. Um, for example, I try to process my OmniFocus inbox to zero every day by the end of the day, usually about four o'clock is when I look at it or four or 4.30 so that it's, it's done by five o'clock because... Um, I want to make sure that everything that I've collected somewhere is in my OmniFocus inbox. I'm adding a lot now, David, actually, by the Apple Watch in, in Siri, because I add it to Siri through the Apple Watch. It goes to the reminders list, and then that OmniFocus background task picks it up and puts it into my OmniFocus inbox. So when something pops into my head, I'm I'm able to quickly add it. So I try to process that inbox down to zero by five o'clock every day. Um, but I also try to process my email inbox down to zero by five o'clock every day. Now, that doesn't mean that all that stuff gets done by five o'clock every day. That just means that it goes somewhere and it gets assigned somewhere. Um, I try to process maybe the physical inbox in my desk every Friday, you know, and I, I think you did this great blog post. And if, if you can find a link and put it in the show notes about kind of you, you have this you have this. Um, the thing that you used to do every Fridays when you were at the day job, kind of getting you you ready for the week ahead, this this kind of ceremony for Fridays of of, of clearing tasks. Um, same thing with emails. I, I process my email inbox down to zero. Um, maybe that's deferring things. Maybe that's adding emails into into OmniFocus to actually make tasks on. So a lot of these things, I think that you're deferring into your into your review are things that I just tend to do on an on an ongoing basis. Um, and some of these may not necessarily be part of your review. They just may be ongoing tasks. And the other thing is I don't review everything every week. 
Um, I review things when I need to. And that's one of the beauties about OmniFocus is you can set things to come back and review them when you need to. There are certain projects that I review every week, but my default review is kind of every other week. So I'm reviewing about half my projects every week, the other half every other week. But then many of my projects, I'm only reviewing once every month or once every three months as necessary. Yeah, I've got some that are six months. I mean, I've got like corporate clients that don't need much work and six months, I'll just check in. So yeah, you can go along with it. And just to add on to what Katie was saying, the daily OmniFocus inbox clear out, that's something I actually have a daily task. I have a a list of of daily tasks and I actually have that as a, a thing I check off every day because it's important to me that, you know, the inbox gets cleared out every day. So um, yeah, there, there's a lot of ways to do that. What Katie was referring to on that Friday review is I, I still do a Friday audit, even though I'm, I'm not at a uh, office anymore. I still look at Friday afternoon. I've got an hour set aside just to kind of clear the decks from the week and see what happened. So, um, it's, it's a garden. You got to constantly tend it. Um, but three hours is too much and, and he's right. We got to find a way to make that easier. But it's a combination of things. It's not going to be one simple problem. I, I talked to someone recently who was really a, kind of upset with me about OmniFocus and saying, this is just taking way too much time. And I sat down with him and started looking at it. And the guy just had way too many projects, you know, tracking on. He's he's, uh, he's got enough projects to keep five people busy for a year. And I'm thinking it's just not going to work for you, brother. You got to you got to dump some of this stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, I, th- I think we've we've answered most of our our listener questions this week. So cue them cue them back up again for for next month. Uh, again, you can you can send us an email to feedback at macpowerusers.com, dot um, or you can send us a tweet uh, and then include it with the hashtag AskMPU, uh, and we'll we'll try to cue those up for for next month's show. Uh, before we move forward, I do want to take a quick break and talk about our next sponsor, One Password. Um, but we've got a special treat this month. Uh, we actually have a listener who has um, sent us an audio comment in with a tip about how they're using 1Password. So I figured in lieu of your your normal sponsor, Ed Reed, uh, I would share that instead. Uh, so I believe this is from Rob. Hey, David and Katie, this is Rob from Chattanooga, Tennessee. I've got what I think is an interesting use case for 1Password that I wanted to share. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were in the process of updating our wills and our estate documents. As a part of that process, we typically store digital copies of those documents in 1Password as attachments to our identities. Uh, Using 1Password's multi-vault feature, I actually decided to create a secondary vault with the sole purpose of sharing it with the executor of our estate. I created the vault and allowed the executor to choose the password. Once the vault was created, I chose to sync it via Dropbox. And then on the Dropbox end, I created a shared folder in which I shared with the executor and put the vault in there. Back inside 1Password, in my primary vault, uh, I created a tag for uh, our estate. And then I went through and tagged any of the pieces of data that I felt were pertinent. In addition to, I typed out a secure note and uh, tagged it as well. The secure note included a personal message from me to the executor, as well as additional instructions that he would need in the event of our passing. Uh, My goal for this vault was just to give him all the things that he would need to get started, not everything. With all of those things tagged, it's really easy to filter by the tag and just look at the things that were uh, relevant. I could then select all and make a a copy uh, into the new estate vault. I mentioned this little step because for us, it was important to retain the original copy in our primary vault. 
and only make a secondary copy into the estate vault. So now we've got copies in our primary vault as well as our estate vault. Um, so I created a uh, OmniFocus task, uh, a reminder to make a fresh copy of all of the items with the tag um, to the estate vault uh, every couple of months. All told, we felt like this was a nice and efficient, secure, paperless manner in which to share this information uh, between us and the executor of our estate. And I just wanted to share to all the Mac Power User listeners who have learned so much from this community over the years. Uh, thanks for all you do. and Keep up the good work. So I thought this was particularly relevant because we talked, uh, I believe it was last week or recently, about using 1Password in the context of uh, emergency preparedness. And this would certainly qualify. You know, we're all going to die one day. And making sure that we have all of the information that we need prepared uh, when you when you pass on and that someone can handle that for you. Uh, Rob's got an interesting workflow here for using 1Password in that kind of context. Uh, I do something a little bit different but the same type of principle applies. You can use 1Password uh, to store those types of items that you scan and save in 1Password or just to save all of your password information, to store information about all of your accounts so that you can make sure that your loved ones can access that should they need access to the accounts and and you're not available to give it to them. Uh, You can store all of your logins. You can store secure notes. Uh, you can even store things like uh, credit card information, uh, passport information, uh, even things from, from your wallet to make sure that, you know, just everything is, is running smoothly in, in the event that you're not able to take care of it yourself. Uh, all of these things think, sync seamlessly across all of your devices, uh, either using iCloud or Dropbox. Uh, and as Rob touched on, you can have multiple vaults. So you can share certain key items uh, with a separate vault that maybe you share with a trusted friend or family member uh, that they have access to while keeping all of your primary documents in your own 1Password vault. So you can find out more information about 1Password at, over at onepassword.com. Uh, and thanks to the folks at 1Password for their support of Mac Power users. All right, so we got a lot of feedback about our travel show, David. People people seem to really like it when we talk about travel tech. That seems to be a niche spot for geeks. Well, it, it, it's something that's always evolving as the technology gets better. And um, I know I'm always interested, especially when we have a guest like Liana. Wasn't she a great guest? I mean, she was so uh, prepared. You could tell when she came on, she had her list and some great ideas for us. But one of the things that came up on that show was the um, the shower speaker. You know, well, the shower came up a lot on that show. <laughs> yeah, I'm not exactly sure how, <laughs> but the, uh, but you know, just to make sure we can complete the loop, Wendy sent in an audio comment. Hi, David and Katie. I have a shower mate Bluetooth speaker that I use in the shower to listen to podcasts. It is small and handy. It's under $15 on Amazon. They have a couple different models and they come in a couple different colors. I have one that has a suction cup on it. You just wet it and stick it right up. And then I take it down after each use and and set it on the shelf because it did fall off when I tried to leave it up overnight. It's got plenty of volume for the shower, which is controlled by the phone. So I just turn on the Bluetooth on the phone. It automatically will connect with the speaker and I control the volume on the phone and then I am good to go. It doesn't have the best sound. If you're looking to listen to music on it, it may not be um, the best speaker, but for listening to podcasts, I think it's really great. It holds a charge for a long time. I charged it at Christmas, and it's July, and I haven't had to charge it again yet. So I'm really happy with it, and for the price, you really can't beat it. So that is the ShowerMate 
wireless Bluetooth portable speaker. And I hope that this helps. Katie, I think I have to take one for the team here. Are you, are you going to go get, I mean, they're only, they're only like 13 bucks. I'm going to order one of these. I don't know. I'm going to, when we get done with the show today, I'm going to sniff around on Amazon and they get come one. in multiple colors. I put a link to them in the show notes. Actually, I really want one though, that I can activate Siri with where I, so I can add things to my reminders list. Cause I do think of things all the time when I'm in the shower. I'm maybe, so maybe we should just be taking shorter showers, you know, get in, get out and get on with productivity. You would think, right? But, you know, even if you take a short shower, when I think of something, if I don't write it down immediately, it's gone. It's gone in seconds. Well, I think I think your family would make less fun of you for that than they would for the paper that you keep in the shower. Yeah. Well, you know, (laughs) I I don't know. I'm a weirdo. Let's just leave. Let's just agree to that and move on. Yeah. All right. Arthur also wrote in and he wrote praise for the Hutu. And he says he recently got the Hutu. That's H-O-O-T-O-O-H-T-T-M-0-4. And he calls it the ultimate all-in-one piece of travel electronics. And I wrote about this on Max Sparky. I put it in my box, but I never bought it because I just couldn't. You know, it's $50 and I wasn't traveling enough to justify it. But it's a wireless streaming hard drive. So you can fill it with like movies and stream them wirelessly to your iPad. It's a travel router. And you've talked about your travel router. It's a 600 milliamp hour backup battery. And it's a USB wall charger. So you can plug it into the wall. And um, he thought it's about the same size as a normal backup battery. And it's got all those extra features for about 50 bucks. And he loves it. So um, I, we've heard from a couple listeners. And I also, when I wrote about it, Max Sparky, I heard from a couple readers who bought them based on that article I wrote. And they all love this Hutu device. So we probably should have mentioned it on the show. But that's something worth checking out if you want an all-in-one. Yeah, I put a link to the Hutu in the show notes. The only the only thing I would caution um, is it's not a particularly large backup battery. And I think the battery is primarily designed to power it, but it can also power a device. So I think the backup battery is kind of a secondary feature, which, I mean, who who can care? I mean, with all the other things that it includes. So, oh, yeah, it's also a backup battery. I just I don't think I would rely on this as your primary battery if you're yeah. if you also it- need a battery. It's more like that, you know, emergency uh, flat, you know, fix, can of flat fix in your trunk. It's just there if you really need it. Right. But yeah, Uh, I put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, We also heard from Jack, who recommended the Optitrix waterproof case. Uh, He says he, too, always loves the Travel Hacks episodes of Mac Power users. And he wanted to add uh, his recommendation for the Optitrix OPTRIX waterproof case and lens. He said he recently picked these up for an orca watching kayaking trip up in Washington State, and they worked great. He said he had no fear from the water uh, ruining his iPhone 6. Uh, And he also gave a tip to check out their Facebook page because they sometimes have discounts there. Speaking of trips and cameras, I know you are dealing with a bit of a uh, crisis. Right? Oh boy, yes. All right, so so here's here's my issue. Uh, you all know that I'm I'm going to the bottom of the Grand Canyon very very shortly. In fact, probably as this episode airs, I will be down there. And so, as any good geek, I was I was getting prepared about a week ago, and you know was just pulling my tech gear out and kind of getting organized. And I was not my plan was I was not going to take any tech with me into the Grand Canyon. They've they've made arrangements with another hotel. Um, and you basically, you leave everything that you're not taking with you locked up in the hotel. Um, and you take one duffel bag with you um, onto the trip into the canyon. So the only thing that I plan to take with me that 
was an electronic with me into the canyon um, was I had an older Canon PowerShot can, uh, camera, and it was older. It was a eight megapixel camera, it, but it still took fine pictures. And I used it last about two years ago when we went to Alaska and got some great prints. Put some big fractures up on the wall, so it's it's good enough quality that you can still blow up pictures. And I figured I would take that because. Um, if anything would ever happen, it would probably be pretty easy to get the the photos off of the card. Um, and if something happened to it, I wouldn't care. You know, I, I never use this camera anyway. I always use my iPhone. No big deal. So I pulled the I pulled the camera out of the drawer that's been sitting in for the last two years, um, and it didn't work. There was a, a very clear mechanical problem uh, with the camera. The lens would open, but it wouldn't retract. And so I was kind of left with this dilemma of what do I do? Do I um, do I go buy a new camera, a new point and shoot camera specifically for this trip? Um, do I just rely instead on my family? My family members are all taking their cameras, so we should have at least two other decent or good, one good and one decent camera, and just kind of you know rely on on their photos. Or do I get a waterproof case? And I know Liana uh, recommended the life-proof case. Do I get one of these waterproof cases and go ahead and take my iPhone into the Grand Canyon? So, David, what would you do if you were me now that I've kind of set this up? It's funny. You know, up until recently, I'd say, um, you know, rather than get a life-proof case, go buy another, you know, kind of burner camera that you can bring with you. But I really feel like, I mean, number one, the iPhone camera is just like so much better than it has been over the past few years. Um, I'm taking just almost all of our family photographer on the phone now. And there are so many people like Liana who hang off cliffs with their with their phones as their cameras doing this successfully that it seems like that's a real option now and there's some real advantages to having it on your phone because it's going to geotag all of your pictures it would be kind of nice later to see where in the grand canyon you were when you took that picture and there are some you know there's some sharing i know you're not going to have a great connection but i bet occasionally you will have a, a bit of internet and you can send me a picture of yourself in the grand canyon if you want and I would be inclined to just go for it. And you know what? What's the worst that happens? It falls into, you know, the case fails. You drop your um, your phone into the river. You know, there's, you know, go go to Gazelle and buy another one. It's not the end of the world. Well, that's what I'm inclined to do. Um, I went ahead and I picked up the Life Proof Free. And um, Liana recommended the Life Proof. I, I don't know if it's nude or the nud. It's the one that doesn't have the screen protection. And I get why everybody likes that because it's it's a lot nicer to use. But I went ahead and I picked up the Life Proof Free because it does have a screen protector on it. And I just figured with the type of stuff that I'm doing, I, I wanted that little additional protection. Um, and the Life Proof Free was the highest recommended by the wire cutter. It ended up costing me about 65 bucks. So it was far less than actually going out and buying a camera. And I figure it will be good for the other portions of the trip that are are still kind of rustic. We're going to be in Canyonlands National Park, but, you know, not necessarily water related. And, you know, the other piece of this is I do have Apple Care Plus. So as long as I don't actually lose the camera, if I break it, you know, worst case is I'm out. I think the deductible is what, 50 or 75 bucks for, for Apple Care Plus. Now the yeah. problem the problem is is if I damage the camera such that photos can't upload those photos are gone I'm not going to get them back 
Um, and obviously, if I lose the camera, Apple Care Plus is no good. I'll have to go buy something off Gazelle. But I think that's what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to take it on the in in the free, and I think I'm going to take it in the Canyon. Um, and I think I'm probably going to also take it in an extra, you know, plastic bag and things like that inside my bag. But I'll uh, I'll report back on the next MPU live and let you know how it went. What are you going to do about power? Um, well, I don't think I'm going to use. For, we're only down there three total days. Um, so I, I thought about getting a, um, I, 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 my goal was I didn't want to spend a ton of money. Uh, I mean, if I did, I might as well just get another, um, you know, another point and shoot. So I've, I'm taking two, I'm just going to take a small battery backup that will be enough or a battery that will be enough to charge it three or four times. Um, and I think that will be plenty yeah, and it's, it's, be fun. it's, it's just kind of a spare battery so that if something happened and I lost it, it would be, it would be no great loss. Um, the, the other thing I would do is turn off like all the radios and stuff. So oh, yeah, you don't I'm gonna, use a I'm gonna, battery. I'm just going to turn it off period at night and I'm going to turn off all the radios. So it's just, it's just primarily going to be working as a camera and I may turn a radio on occasionally to see if I've got a signal, but if I don't, I'm just going to turn it back off again. I had a uh, Apple care story and I felt really stupid this week. My, um, my daughter, um, her iPhone five S uh, is not charging consistently. You know, she plugs it in. Sometimes it charges and sometimes it doesn't. I'm thinking, oh, the uh, connector must be bad or something. And I just didn't think about it. And I made an appointment and brought it in without even really like checking it out myself. And the nice lady behind the genius bar looked at it and stuck her um, a little pin in there and pulled out like, you know, an inch of lint and said, okay, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> I said thank you, and I just turned around and, and walked and out did very you quietly. Say, my, my name is David Smith. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because I've cleaned lint out of those connectors before. I don't know why I brain farted and just didn't even think to look in there, but you know, I guess it happens to to us all, or at least to me. Yeah. Anyway, um, we got some more feedback. Do you want to do another ad and continue, or do you want to? Um... No, let's let's power through this. Let's get through this feedback. All right. Um, Catherine talked about as something that I can't believe that we missed. I can't believe you missed this, Mister Photos. Um, but we talked quite a bit about um, people who wanted to use the Photos app, but have have carefully curated their own file and folder system for storing all of their photos. So, Catherine, uh, is that possible? And we said no. Well, turns out we were wrong. So, Catherine says, in a recent show, a user wanted to keep his existing folder structure in the Finder and use and edit those folders with the new Photos app. You mentioned that this wasn't possible, but you can't. Though this is not for you if you're using the iCloud photo library feature, and I'm not sure if it would auto import from the photo stream, but it should work if you just use photos on one Mac. And then these, this is what you need to do. You open up a new photos library, and if you already have one, hold down the option key to create a new library. Then go into the photos preferences and uncheck the box that says to import or to copy photos into the library. So if this box is unchecked, then the photos are just linked or referenced from wherever they happen to be in the Finder. Uh, you can drag the folders of photos that you have in the Finder then into the Photos app. And she says then there's some notifications and some pop-ups and some random things happen. But she says after that's all done, then the photos that you have imported, you can see them in the app. But if you check the library in the Finder slash Pictures folder, you'll see that it's really small in comparison to the original files. And she cautions that this system isn't for the casual user. User, but if you're moving or deleting folders and if you're moving or deleting folders in the finder, it's going to cause havoc and links are going to go missing. Uh, but she said it tried it out and it keeps track of the folders. And if she renamed them in the finder or moved them to different folders, um, she came up with a missing file. 
um, and a question to, to locate them. But as long as you keep things where they are, this should work for you. I think part of my problem is, to me, Photos is so integrated with iCloud. That's such a key piece of it that I just can't almost imagine using it without the iCloud sync because it's just so useful. Um, are you now? Have you? Are you still using Photos and iCloud sync on your end? Oh yeah. Any problems? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, it's just I, I find it just working like a, a champ, and and we've been taking a lot of photos. I mean, we had vacation a, a month ago, and just it's just really great. Um, uh, that this whole thing did raise a question for me about reference libraries, though. Um, we talked in the past about um, reference libraries, like in the context of iTunes and some other applications, where you put your data somewhere else. Have you are you doing that anymore? The the only place that I'm doing this is with iTunes, and it's with my secondary Mac Mini. Um, so I have a Mac mini that I have set up kind of as a home server and I have iTunes running constantly on that Mac mini basically to serve up iTunes or excuse me, to serve up my Apple TV so that I can watch videos and play music from my iTunes library on that Apple TV. So I keep a complete copy of my iTunes library on my uh, Drobo and I have that reference to that Mac mini. And it does cause some problems sometimes when I have to restart that mini and iTunes launches and maybe that doesn't find that Drobo. So I've had to do a couple of things to make sure that iTunes doesn't launch until that Drobo is is connected. But um, it works okay. Yeah, I, I have the same thing. My my iMac at home, the uh, you know the the library, the iTunes library has gotten quite large especially now that I can download all this music. And um, so I, I moved it to the Drobo a couple months ago and it's worked fine. Uh, one time I had uh, the Drobo did for some reason just disconnected, which is kind of rare, but um, I ran a firmware update on it and I've had no problems since, but you need to have a consistent connection with the external device. But you know, the, the stuff that we, that used to be really hard is really not that hard anymore. Uh, we heard from Robert about the Jawbone and the Apple Watch. And he says, in response to your solicitation for situations requiring fitness, sleep tracker, and the Apple Watch, I offer the following. He says, so he has a Jawbone up, which is, um, he's been wearing it uh, full time for three years, and the Apple Watch, which he's only had a couple months. Um, he says, I do most university consulting work at my home office treadmill desk, averaging 110,000 steps or 55 miles per week. Well, good for you. Um, and then he says his wrist is stabilized on the treadmill wrist support and thus the watch is stable and will not record the movement. So his jawbone is in his pocket to record the steps during the treadmill desk time. And then the jawbone is on his wrist every night to record sleep patterns. And then he's disabled the Apple watch activity monitor as he stands and walks over 14 hours a day. And he doesn't want to have an office chair and avoid sitting whenever possible. <laughs> so uh, first, Robert's kind of an impressive guy, uh, 55 miles a week, and uh, he records exercise and sleep on the Jawbone app, which syncs to the MyFitnessPal. I use that app too. I like it, uh, which has an Apple Watch app. So um, the MyFitnessPal then provides a summary, and he says, although you didn't ask for outdoor runs and bike, I'm comparing Runtastic, RunKeeper, and Map My Run. So uh, people are doing it. They're using both devices. And that is a very good example, both for sleep tracking. And if you're doing a lot of treadmill stuff and you've got the watch stationary. Yeah. Diane also wrote in with a use case. She says she's a member of a, uh, 
a corporate medical system that has a fitness program. And they typically require you to wear a pedometer or something, and they give their employees financial incentives uh, for activity and fitness, which is a nice idea. And she says the program supports a couple of different um, options. It does not currently support the Apple Watch, but it does support Fitbit. So she got a Fitbit One, which was a big improvement that it could be worn anywhere um, or it could be put in a pocket. And she finds that it's very accurate in tracking her steps and will interface with this particular corporate system that she used. Um, She does like the Apple Watch, but says, unfortunately, that her corporate system will not interface with it. Um, But she does like the Apple Watch better because uh, it will give her motivations and uh, it gives her better activity comparison and haptic reminders she finds encouraging that the Fitbit doesn't. So uh, maybe her corporate system will update soon to allow her to use her Apple Watch. Yeah. Gary wrote in, he says, I have some follow up on your last episode 266 regarding listening to podcasts using Sonos. He says, if you just use the search field and type in the podcast name and scroll to the right, there's a tab named podcasts and shows. There you will see a list of two items, recent episodes and played soon. I regularly click on the recent episodes and listen to the shows that are queued on my iPhone. Unfortunately, there's no automatic sync function, and after listening, I have to go to my podcast player on the phone to manually delete it from my unplayed list. It's great why I, to listen to podcasts when I know I'll be able to finish the episode in one sitting. And that, that makes sense. Uh, to, to me, um, the way I've still been doing it is the Apple TV is connected to the play bar, and then that's kind of my, my avenue in with AirPlay, but it's not perfect. Um, And then Robert wrote in, you know, I talked about this uh, ring doorbell that I got and my main purpose in getting it was to make sure that I knew when someone dropped off a delivery at my door. But that's been kind of hit or miss. For the most part, it's worked. But Robert said that there are other ways that you can do that. Uh, He said, for example, have you ever thought about using notifications from the various shipping services? He said, for example, I get notifications from Amazon and UPS when a package is delivered. And I probably should have mentioned this in the show, but I do use a great package tracking app called Deliveries from JuneCloud. There's an iOS app. There's a Mac app. I put a link to them in the show notes. And whenever I get a shipment notification from somebody, then I forward that to a specific email address that I have set up with them. um, And I get notifications um, about when that package is going to arrive. So that typically gives me an idea when a package is going to arrive. But sometimes I have the problem where packages just kind of show up and I'm not necessarily expecting them. Or I know that I'm kind of expecting a package, but I don't get the tracking information and I don't know when it's coming. Um, and I realized doing a little searching kind of at Robert's urging that there, but that both UPS and FedEx, who are the primary shippers in my area, um, and if they're not in yours, I would encourage you to check out who the, the primary delivery services in your area are, um, have services. Uh, UPS is called UPS Choice and FedEx is called FedEx Delivery Manager, I think, that you can sign up for. And they have a, a free level and a paid level. But I think both on the free level will monitor when a package is coming to your address and have the ability to send you notifications either via email or SMS, or some of them even have apps. And of course, if you, you may be able to use your Mac power user skills to, to hack in some automation there. Uh, to let you know that a package is coming or that a package has been delivered. So that might be another option to look at if you don't want a fancy doorbell. Although fancy doorbells do sound like fun. Yeah, it is. So. Um, 
Hey, I want to talk about our last sponsor, and that's our friends over at Fujitsu. Um, Fujitsu makes just the best quality scanners for the Mac and iOS, and they have a variety of different ones. They've got the iX100, the little tiny one that'll fit in your wallet or your, I'm sorry, your purse or your uh, briefcase. They've got the S1300, which is a little bigger, but you can keep in a drawer. And they've got the big, the big boy, the iX500. And I want to talk about the iX500 today because I have a little story to tell. Um, I just uh, I bought a, a legal reference manual it's a 1400 page book that i that i need to keep for my my law practice and it's one of these things where everything it's in a binder where you can take pages out and replace them and i got thinking you know i don't want to have 1400 pages on my shelves and i just want this stuff to be easily searchable and you know why not so i thought it would be kind of a big job i've never scanned a 1400 page book before you know how long this you know how long this took me? It took me like an hour. It was it was just crazy how fast I'm, this I'm thing. I'm shocked it took you that long. Well, because what I would do is I I had it. I was I was working at the time. I didn't like give full time to this project, but I just opened the binder. I took the pages. I set them on my desk. I flipped open my X500 and I just picked a stack. You know, they say that it's a 50 sheet feeder. I'm pretty sure I was putting more than 50 sheets in there, and I would just load it up. And then I'd push the blue button on the scan snap. And I had set it up beforehand as it's importing the pages to conduct the optical character recognition because it can do that for you automatically. And in an hour, I had all these 1400 pages scanned in to my um, computer in one PDF file, all OCR. And then I went ahead and opened it in PDF pin and I added table of contents for each chapter. And now the thing is on my iPad, it's available on my phone, I can search it, it's like done. And all those books and binders that they sent me in the mail that I paid so much money for, they're in the garage. You know, I don't have to look at them. So, you know, it's just, it's amazing when you've got a powerful scanner at your hands, how quickly you can take some of this out of your life. Uh, we are in the process right now of going through all the cookbooks in the house and we're doing the same thing. I'm getting rid of, we've got, a, we got three linear feet of cookbooks in our kitchen shelf space being used for not you know for books you reference once in a blue moon i'm like this is going away we got to figure this out so um get yourself one of these scanners and you can remove a lot of stuff from your house uh it connects via usb 3.0 like i said it's this says 50 sheet feeder i think you can do better um it's 25 pages per minute scanning it can scan directly to your mobile devices. It's got, you know, the ability to do that if you want. Um, or you can scan to your Mac. It's got an advanced paper feeding system. Uh, you know, old scanners, when you put pages in, it would always pull more than one page so you wouldn't get everything scanned and you'd be missing pages. This actually has what they call separation roller technology to minimize jams and multi-feed. So it takes care of that. And it's got great software with all these options. You can, you want to save it to Evernote. You want to put into a specific folder, you know, whatever you want to do with your scans as they come in, the Fujitsu scan snap does. And it even does the OCR, like I was talking about earlier. Uh, great people that make products. They really are devoted to the Mac and the iOS platform. And they've been longtime sponsors of the show. We love them. I've bought, you know, I've lost track of how many of these scanners I've bought over the years. I bought them for friends. I bought them at the office. Uh, nobody ever complains because they're workhorses and they just keep doing the job. So, so check it out. If you need to get yourself a new scanner, head over to Fujitsu. Um, if you go to easy.com slash SSMPU. That is the website uh, where they track from people coming from Mac Power users. So I'd encourage you to go there. But if, even if you buy one somewhere else, send them a note, send them a tweet, let them know you heard about it from us because uh, we really love our Fujitsu Scan Snaps and we recommend you try it out as well. 
All right. Well, let's let's wrap things up here with a few listener tips. And uh, here's one from uh, Ryan about uh, a keyboard maestro hack that he uses. Hello, Katie, David and Mac Power users. This is Ryan from Atlanta. As I was listening to your WWDC episode and your interest in the find my mouse feature of uh, El Capitan, I realized that uh, there is a current way to do that on the Mac if you're using Keyboard Maestro. I have a macro setup where I use the hotkey Command M, and then I use the macro in the notification folder of Keyboard Maestro that says Highlight Location. I set it up and I use an oval, and it defaults to mouse X and mouse Y for the position and I set the oval to 50 pixels wide by 50 pixels tall and I display it for half a second and all I have to do is press command M and wherever I am I can see where my mouse is Katie, uh, keyboard maestro is the gift that just keeps giving isn't it? Yes and I know you're going to talk about this a little later but there is a new version of keyboard maestro did you lose like the entire week playing with it? No, in fact, just the opposite. I have some deadlines, so it's driving me nuts that it's installed and I haven't dug into it yet, but that is not far off. We are recording this on Saturday. Sunday is Keyboard Maestro Day for me. <laughs> okay. Um, and we also got an email from, uh, or an audio comment from Ron uh, with his affirmations workflow. So let's listen to that. Hi, Katie and Dave. It's Ron from Paris. Thanks for the awesome podcast. I wanted to share my idea for an affirmation list. I used to have this long list with affirmative statements, from simple attaboys to statements that inspire me from people I admire. Every morning I used to read my list, but it got too long and so the list became stale. It didn't inspire me anymore. And so I decided to spice it up. In OmniFocus I created a project called Affirmations and I made a context with the same name. I entered every affirmative statement as an individual task and set it to defer one month out after completion. Then I opened OmniFocus on my iPad and deferred all the tasks to a random date using the dice button. And so now whenever I open my affirmations project, it's a total surprise what I may find. Use the dice to forward it to a new random date. If, by accident, you mark it as complete, you haven't lost it. It will just show up one month later. Mission accomplished. But can I take it one step further? In OmniFocus, I also created an affirmations perspective that shows you the available affirmations. Each perspective has a unique link, copy as link. Then I took it to Workflows, the app, and created a home screen button that links to the affirmations perspective. Now, whenever I need to be inspired, I just tap the affirmations button on my home screen and boom, inspirations at the flick of a wrist. Hope this makes sense. Been walking around with the idea to send you guys a voicemail, but never got to it until my affirmations one day said, do or do not. There is no try. And voila. Have a good day. Bye. Okay, now Ron is just pushing my buttons. Yeah, I mean, some... <laughs> didn't some rat or something say that? What? What? <laughs> oh, Katie Floyd. Those are fighting words. Yeah, I, 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 I like that because you got you got affirmations, you got an OmniFocus tip, and you got a Yoda reference all in one. And not to mention, Ron has the best voice of of, of any guest I've ever heard. <laughs> I think Ron might be doing voice work on the side. I'm just, exactly. I'm not sure. 
Um, anyway, uh, yeah, that was great. And uh, he's workflow, OmniFocus. You know that that random uh, defer button in OmniFocus, I think is a, a great addition. I wish they would add it to the Mac as well, because there are things that you haven't decided you're going to kick to the curb yet on your OmniFocus list, but you want to push out and you don't need a certain date and you don't have to sit there and think, well, is it one week or is it two weeks? Press the random button and just let life take you where it does. Um, all right, uh, let's talk about tech we're playing with. And we've already teased this a little bit, but there is a new version of Keyboard Maestro out. Uh, it's Keyboard Maestro version 7. There's an upgrade price. Uh, you can also just buy it if you haven't yet. Um, I've always felt like, you know, if there there's kind of like a holy trinity of automation apps for the Mac, you start with Text Expander, which is a very simple to use text expansion tool that you can make do amazing things. Then the next step is Hazel, which allows you to auto file documents and do a ton of great stuff. And then the then the graduate level is Keyboard Maestro that that is just so broad and can do so many different things. We've done shows on Keyboard Maestro in the past. We may end up doing another one. I want to dig in to see if it's worth it or not. If it's you know if there's another Enough new material to, to give it a show but um you know they are always working on making it better and they did so um go check it out if you haven't yet i don't have a whole lot to report on it i know they've added a whole bunch of new actions um that they've got better sharing now you can group actions i mean there's just a, like displays as large text is something i've always wanted in keyboard maestro and now i can so i'm really looking forward to to digging in but i will say i would recommend it without even having spent time on it all right. Um, I was kind of str struggling to find a pick this week and a pick presented itself to me. Uh, so I'm going to pick the breaking news app. I talked about this a little bit, a couple of episodes, uh, a couple of months ago, actually, when we had the Apple media event and I was looking for a way to be able to follow the Apple news events from my Apple watch, but I wasn't going to be available to watch the live stream. I wasn't really going to be able to follow it on Twitter. I had a couple of events going on at work that day, and I just kind of wanted to get some quick notifications on my wrist to see what was going on without it being overly intrusive. And um, I stumbled across, uh, somebody recommended the Breaking News app because you can customize it to tell it specifically what things you're interested in receiving notifications about. So you can pick specific news topics to follow. So uh, I have picked Apple Inc. as a news topic that I'm following. And then I've also picked um, my city and a couple of uh, big topic things that in my, in my city. And then you can also customize um, the notifications. So you can also get notifications of major news events and big stories that, that happen near you. And I was finding that certain news apps, and I won't name names, were kind of abusing the push notification privilege. They were sending me push notifications about, um, let's say, things that were probably, in my opinion, less than breaking news. Um, and I, I wasn't happy with that. So it seems that the breaking news app is a little more respectful of that. I'm really only getting push notifications about things that are truly breaking news or things that I've specifically customized. Uh, and here's an example. Um, first off, I'll say everything is fine. The situation is taken care of. But we had a shooting incident uh, here in my city that, that started breaking about an hour and a half before we sat down to record the podcast. I don't know if it made national news. Um, nobody was hurt. Nobody was killed. But somebody on the interstate shot at a uh, law enforcement official, and then there was a, a chase for this person for about an hour and a half. And they, I just got a notification on my watch about 30 minutes ago as we were recording the show that that person was apprehended. 
But that's a pretty big deal to have an active shooter running about in your town and, you know, kind of a manhunt going on with them and the interstate being closed down. And I got a notification on my watch and through my phone that said, hey, this is happening in your area. It's a big notification. It's a big event in your area. And I was able to check in with my family real quick to say, okay, is that just FYI, something's going on in this area of town, steer clear and um, keep keep updated as we were recording the show, David, on what was going on without it being intrusive. So uh, I thought that was a great feature. So I'll plug the breaking news app. Sounds good. Sounds yeah. good. Well, you know, we got through another live show. Um, I want you to wish you a really happy va- and f- relaxing vacation, Katie Floyd. Just because you have well, your phone you. doesn't mean you. I want you answering any Mac Power users' email or anything. Go down there and have fun. Uh, if your if your phone does start to slip out of your hand or something, do me a favor and don't just jump after it. I don't want to hear about you having to take a helicopter ride because you broke a leg or something. Oh, right? I have I have trip insurance. It's all good. I will totally go after the phone. No, don't. don't. They 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 can they can medevac me out of the Grand Canyon and it's all covered. I actually have several friends that have been injured in the Grand Canyon. So I'm actually a little worried about you. So I want you to, (laughs) you know, I was, I was all set about this. I didn't think anything about it. They've got great videos. Everybody's having a good old time. And then someone from my office said, are you worried about snakes? And I had never considered that. What kind of snakes? Well, you guys have snakes in Florida. Well, we have like garden snakes, but I mean, what if they're like scorpions and stuff? Like we have rattlesnakes here. Well, I was at my sister's house. There was one in the backyard with us a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, don't don't now, just be careful around those snakes. It. Yeah. Well, the the only time you're going to get bit by a rattlesnake is early in the morning or or late in the afternoon. So just just be on your guard at those times. Or if you step on one, probably get bit. Not helping. All right. Well, <laughs> be I, careful on your trip. Have fun. We're looking yeah. forward to seeing you when you come back. And I'm sure you'll have some great stories. And I want to hear how this life proof case works out because I'm I'm kind of there with you. I'm almost ready to say my iPhone is my camera. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, guys, we have got one more episode of Mac Power users queued up in the bank. We've we've recorded a bunch of them. Um, this is show 271. We've got 272 queued up for you. Uh, and after that, who knows what happens if I die in the Grand Canyon? That's all, folks. It's been a great run. Thanks so much. Wow. Now you had to go there with it, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> Katie Floyd will be fine and she'll be back. Um, we'll see you all next week and uh, have a great weekend. Thanks again for uh, joining us on the live show. All right. Thanks, everybody.